Well, we are going to continue. We've, uh, we've in the middle of a series. Uh, our practice here as we come to God's Word. It's, it's this book thousands of years old, but new and ever new and living. And that's why we come to it. It's God's Word. Anything we say this morning, talking about the Bible or Jesus or God, anything you don't understand, please do come and see us. Come and talk to us. And uh, we'd love to share with you about this Christian faith we're celebrating this morning. And uh, so... We're in this series around identity. What does it mean to be human? It's so at the heart of so many of the issues in society at present. And I want to ask us the question this morning, are we living a purpose-centered life? As we'll see, part of our identity at least is about living in purpose. Okay, now there's caveats to that, and I think there's even concerns sometimes about, you know, having a sense of purpose and doing, but we should be about something here on earth. So let me ask you just a simple question as we kick off. Do you feel you're about something? Do you feel God has laid on your heart purpose and meaning and destiny? Because we should have some sense of that, and I want to offer that to you this morning if you don't have that sense. And uh, we're going to read from Ephesians 2, which is a springboard into kind of unpacking something of what we're about here, but also then also leads into this issue of identity. So I'm going to read this. This is a letter to a church in Ephesus uh, from a guy called Paul, who was like a a kind of overseeing apostolic figure. And uh, this is what he says to them. And this actually is Lisa and Sophie's story. In fact, it's all of our story of those of us who are believers. Paul says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, the the things we've done wrong against God, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So there's a spiritual realm and there are real spiritual forces in that realm that stand against God's kingdom. And without outside of God and outside of a relationship with God, we serve that kingdom, not God's kingdom. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. So we live basically for ourselves, even the best of us, still fundamentally had us at the centre of our lives, is what Paul's saying. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That is, we would face consequences for our living independent from God. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, God's kindness, unmerited, that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. There is something God has done, God the Father has done in Christ Jesus, his son, to show us tremendous kindness. And it's the cross It's the life, the serving life of Jesus and his death on the cross. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. 
We don't save ourselves by works so that none of us can boast. We will not come into relationship with God. We won't, if you like, get into heaven. We won't earn forgiveness by good works. So I want to take that pressure off you, friend. You will not earn God's favor and grace, no matter how good you are. And let me just tell you, if you're not a believer in this place, you may well be a better person than some of the Christians. <laughs> Naturally. But that's not the point. We're not forgiven because we've earned God's forgiveness. It's grace. It's his kindness. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So like I say, this is Sophie and Lisa's story. Like all of us, they were, we were dead in our sins. Our spirit was dead because of a, a break in relationship with God, because of our sin. Our sin, our choosing to go our own way, puts us outside of a relationship with God. We were dead in sins. Our spirit was dead. We could not know God in our spirit. We were separated, powerless to do anything about our sins. How many of us know what it was like to try and be a good person? This is my story. I, I tried to be a good person outside of relationship with God. I really wanted to be a good person. It was just such hard work. I just couldn't do it. And then I would be really, really selfish as well. Now, I still can be really, really selfish. But I thank God I'm forgiven for it now. Don't look at me as if you're not really, really selfish as well. <laughs> And because of that, I was under judgment. I was a child of wrath. Now, that's a tough one. What? This loving God is somehow angry. I'm pleased God is angry at sin. I'm pleased when malevolent forces in the world decide that they are going to devastate a lesser, less powerful nation and cause mayhem and kill innocent civilians. I'm pleased God's angry about that. Because if he wasn't angry, there'd be something wrong with him. But here's the point. But what about my sin? What about the stuff I've done? Maybe God will turn a blind eye to that. No, he's got to be just. And so he's going to call us all to account and to judgment. But we don't have to face that judgment ourselves. We don't have to go to God and say, okay, God, let me have it ourselves. We can be covered in that judgment and forgiven. How? Well, he goes on to say, God, in his mercy and grace, sent Christ. Christ, Jesus Christ is mentioned five times in these verses. And it says we can be made alive in him. How? Through faith in his life and death on the cross. That faith, which is a work of God, he gives us the faith to respond. We can respond in faith and say, yes, I believe this. I believe that you lived for me. You died for me. You took my punishment. I trust you. Yes, I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Will you forgive me, Lord? Will you forgive me? And when we do, he shows us his mercy. We don't earn it. The worst of us don't earn it, but can be forgiven. The worst of us can be forgiven. Whatever you've done, it can be forgiven. Mercy can cover your sin and you can be raised. This is a great picture of that, baptism, because these guys, 
Well, it's going to be slightly different today for reasons which I'll explain. But normally baptism, we go under the water. It's a sign of dying to self, of our sins being washed away. And then we come up. It's a picture. We're clean. This baptism doesn't do it. It's the faith that these guys have had in Jesus already. And this is their public declaration of that. So they go under. They're washed. They die to self. This is a bath for you guys, and it's your burial. (laughs) But you'll be pleased to know you're coming out alive. You're going to be raised. We're going to raise you up. Rest assured, okay? You come up then to new life. Hallelujah. In Christ, clean. Whatever you've done, washed away. There's some tears already in here. Just that good news. That is good news. That God would do that for us. So that's what we're going to do. Okay, this is the sermon part of it in terms of this identity. I'm going to need to crack on. So what then? What then? We come up to this new life. Is that it? Is God done with us? No. Verse 10 goes on to say this. We are now God's workmanship, created for good works. We're called to live a purposeful life, a purpose centered life so i've just got a few thoughts around this this idea of our identity being in the purpose god has for us and like i say i'm going to try and crack on so firstly i want to say this we're made for purpose we're made for purpose it is right that we are human beings not doings so we are to be that's our central point we're to be children of god we are children of god loved by our father But we all are also called to do some stuff. We're made for purpose. We are created to do good works. So having a purpose is a key part of our identity. And here's the thing. You've been carefully created. You've been carefully created. Let me just ask you a really searching question. I don't know how honestly you can answer this question now. How carefully do you think you've been created? And what value do you put in that? Or do you look at yourself and think, I think think God got a few things wrong when he made me. No, he didn't. (laughs) Carefully created. Created. The word for workmanship, it's a great concept, is poemia. It means handiwork. Some translations say, masterpiece we are god's masterpiece wow he's made you with such detail you are not a bodge job take a look at the person next to you just look around just don't look around now you may think i think they might be no they're not (laughs) they're not a bodge job now you may want to be different You may want to be different. Are there things that come into your mind when I say that? I'd love to change this about me or that about me. Now, God can change it. If that's that's kind of a result of your fallen nature, God can change that stuff. But some of your fundamentals, your looks, you know, some of the fundamentals, your personality. Now, he can change personality, but some of the fundamentals of your personality, he chose that. Some of your abilities, he chose that. You're his workmanship. You have been lovingly sculpted from nothing, says Psalm 139. 
So you're made for purpose. Secondly, what does that mean? Secondly, then, everything matters. Everything matters. Now, you may, I, I'd be really amazed, I'd be really impressed, actually, if anyone knows who that person is. Does anyone know who that person is? It's not Churchill. <laughs> it's a guy called Abraham Kuyper. He's one of my heroes, okay? A Dutch theologian. He founded a university. He founded a political party. He became uh, prime minister of the Netherlands. It's a good CV. Why did all that happen in his life? Because he believed everything mattered. Every aspect of life mattered. This is his most famous quote, and it's really influenced me in my Christian walk. He said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence, in the whole of creation, over which Christ, who is Lord of all, does not declare mine. It's all mine, says Jesus. That in all things, Karen read it earlier, he might have the supremacy. Now, instinctively, I think, as believers, we think that's true. Well, that has consequences. There's nothing in all of creation other than sin over which Jesus doesn't declare, that's mine. I want to be glorified through that. Education. Yes, Christ wants to be glorified through education as the kingdom comes. Banking. <gasps> Estate agency. Touching a few raw nerves here, perhaps. Manufacturing. Hospitality. Mosaic. God wants to be glorified through Mosaic. Lisa, who's getting baptized, is one of our managers in Mosaic. The arts, family life. We're to see the kingdom come to every area. And to do that, to bring that about. But every aspect of your life matters. Those things you do day in, day out that no one sees, that no one gives you any credit for, that potentially is the kingdom coming to your family, your care for that relative that no one sees. Parents, your care, that, those, those rough old nights. I remember them vaguely. Those rough old nights when the child won't sleep and you're up again and you're trying to love them. And, oh, my life is so tired, though. That's the kingdom coming. As you show love and care, everything, everything matters. And God will receive glory one day through all of that. It's why in those letters, all the letters, usually it, it, there's kind of a bit on theology Paul maps out who Christ is and all that. And then he says, therefore, therefore, care for one another, love one another, live life well as family, as husband and wife, as friends and colleagues. So everything matters. We're to live out the purposes of God in everything. Okay, nextly, very quickly, in living out our God-given purpose then, it's his way or the highway, I'm afraid. Isaiah 55, 8 says this. Thanks, James. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean to say all the time he thinks absolutely differently, but fundamentally, so often, his way will not be our way. Have you noticed that? As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So his ways are not always different in everything. It's not like we have no idea of how God would do something, but here's the point. God is very determined to get his will done, his ways done. God is very determined to have his purposes fulfilled in his life. How many of us have noticed when we come up against God as to the will in our life, who wins? It ain't going to be us. And God has put, I'm sure, these guys through refining fire to get them to the place they're at today. There's his general will. 
the therefore teaching I talked about earlier. And then there's his specific will for your particular situation. Now, here's the thing. We can sometimes quote verses like Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you know what that says? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. And he does have those plans for all of us. Or John 10, 10. I've come that you may have life in all its fullness. Here's the problem. We can put, that can sound really exciting for us. And we put ourselves at the center of those plans and purposes. As if it's about us. We're going to have a whoopee-doo time doing this. We're going to, life in all its fullness. I'm going to do all sorts of exciting things. Yeah, but here's the point. Don't put yourself at the center. Because it's him at the center. He knows the plans he has for us. And when we put him at the center, then we live life in all its fullness. And we experience those plans that prosper us. And guys, I want to encourage you. If there's nothing else you remember from this morning, and you probably won't, of what I'm saying anyway. This is about putting Jesus at the center. That's why, just to say, one of the things, sometimes we've had baptisms and we have people come forward and read and pray and prophesy. And it's a little bit dangerous. Sometimes it can almost be like it's about the person. Now, it is about you guys. We are celebrating our socks off. This, this morning really excites me. I love this. I love that you're coming through to baptism. But it ain't about you even. It's about Jesus. And if we all put Jesus at the centre, that life in all its fullness will come to bear. Okay, so put Jesus at the centre. This is about him at the centre. You can't go wrong. I want to say that to anyone else. If you don't know Jesus or you don't, you're not sure you know Jesus, I want to say to you, put him at the centre of your life. We'd love to help you explain what that means. Put him at the centre. Okay, nearly there. Fourthly, the purpose-centred life is purpose-centred, not purpose-driven. Okay, it's purpose-centred, not purpose-driven. Now, there were some great books out a few years back called, excellent books, um, you know, and, and I cannot hold a candle to the person who wrote these books. Purpose-driven life, purpose-driven church. There is something about that word, though, I think now that just, uh, personally, I'm not sure about. Okay, it's still amazing content, brilliant, I love them. But there is that sense, I think, I'm not sure we're to be driven in anything, actually. I'm not sure we're to be anything driven. You see, drivenness is like this, a fault line in Western society. Drivenness. How many of us, if we were honest, have known periods when we've been driven? Got to, got to, got to. Should, must, need. And just on it. And that's one of the problems with having purpose that we can think we've just got to keep making it happen, make it happen. And we're a society, Western society, that wants to make things happen. And so often as a consequence, we are stressed, burnout, breakdowns, mental health issues, epidemic, because of things like this. I love what was said of Jesus at his baptism, Luke 3, 21, 22. When all the people were being baptised, Jesus was baptised too. And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. And I want you guys to hear this over you this morning. This was Jesus at his baptism. The father said, you are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. What's significant about that for me is Jesus had done nothing other than 
30 years in obscurity. But he hadn't achieved anything. And yet the father still said, I'm so pleased with you. Let's embrace that. That God the Father thinks the world of us without us doing anything. We do not need to stress ourselves out, chasing stuff down to achieve. Finally, tied in with that, let me ask you a question. Have you got rhythm? I've got rhythm. Yeah, everybody. This is uh, Ali and I at a recent party we went to. <laughs> That's Jean Kelly and I, I forget her name. Jean Kelly in uh, an American in Paris from which the song came, I've Got Rhythm. You see, having rhythm is, is key if we're to be sustainable in living God's purposes. Let me say that again. Having good rhythms in life is key if we're to be sustainable in living out God's purposes. You see, like I say, the danger is in trying to do, we become stressed, busy, achieving, ambitious, and all the rest of it. The Bible puts in place seasons and rhythms for the people of God. Good rhythms of work and rest, of celebration, times like this. It does us good. It fills our tank. Times when we relate and those we love and spend time with them. So have you got rhythm? Have you got healthy rhythms built into your life? Sometimes as a pastor, I sit in in conversations with people who, you know, going through stuff and responding or things are going on in their life. And I'll say things to them like this. What about these questions for you? What does Sabbath look like for you? Do you even have a concept of Sabbath? I'm not talking about a Sunday. I'm not talking about what's your list of do's and don'ts on a Sunday. I'm talking about, do you know what Sabbath rest is? I'll say to them, how does your emotional tank get, get filled? And all too often, they can be floundering for answers. If I ask you that question, would, would you know what fills your emotional tank? Couples. I ask them things like, when's, when's date night? Okay. And again, people squirm. You know, I'm not sure. Ah, oh, well. When, when's your next annual leave book? Have you got it mapped out a bit? I'm not encouraging you to be lazy. I'm asking you to have good rhythms. Why? Because we live in a culture that will war against healthy, sustainable rhythms. Because our society is driven mad. And we need to war against that by building in. And I think this is all to do with if we're going to sustain an identity where we are to do and live in the purposes of God. It needs to be sustainable. Okay, so we're coming to baptism then. And it is this wonderful picture of dying to self and rising to new life and new creation. And that includes for you guys, like I say, the surrender of your plans and purposes of your ambitions, we're going to sing later, Jesus, all for Jesus, all of my ambitions and plans. It's not that you're not to be ambitious, it's not that you're not to have plans, but are they surrendered to Jesus? You see, you 
God's heart for you is that you are raised to a purpose-centered life. But actually, that purpose-centered is really Jesus-centered. When we live Jesus-centered lives, they are full of wonderful purpose.